Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually with podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff. You can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com or the Access More app. I still shared Christ with people, but I still didn't want to be an all-in Christian. I was really happy with just having a toe in the water until I had a, a miracle happen to me that completely changed the trajectory of my life. Fitness and wellness expert, naturopath, and adventure enthusiast, Wendy Pett. And my husband, Todd Isburner. He's a fundraising guru, men's mentor, and Bible scholar. And as a couple, we're going to share riveting breakthrough stories from our guests who've experienced the meaning of a changed life. Our hope is that you will be inspired, equipped, and entertained along your own life journey. So lean in, listen well. This could be your biggest breakthrough. everyone, and welcome to this episode of Your Biggest Breakthrough. I'm your host, Wendy Pett. I'm Todd Isburner. And we are so excited for our show yeah. today. If you love Your Biggest Breakthrough, make sure you go to our website or go and give us a, a rating and a review on uh, iTunes or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear your um, your review and we'll read it on air. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, we want to get the word out, honestly, mm-hmm. because there are so many great stories and people keep telling us, wow, I was so inspired or I'm so encouraged or I have hope again. So I know you want to share that. So do it. Yes. So do it, do it. So here's the deal. I want, this show is going to be extremely special. And so tune in because I I want to know if you can even fathom, if you can even imagine being groomed from childhood to be a thief and a con. And I mean, being groomed by your parent. Can you imagine that? You know, I, no way. I really right. can't, especially because of, of my upbringing and my little hometown and all of that. Right. <laughs> and, Everything's so and perfect. My, especially with my German dad and what the way he uh, sort of ruled with an iron fist and what was important right. to him. So, yeah, it would be very hard to imagine what that would be like. Uh, but I do know this. You know, the Bible says train up a child in the way he or she should go. Mm-hmm. But that would mean going in the right direction, not the wrong direction. Right. Absolutely. And uh, so today on our show, we actually have our very first proud atheist wow. on the show. That's right. So you want to listen in. She's got an incredible story. But here's the I deal. I think you need she to She used add, to yeah, be good. <laughs> an atheist. Yeah. So there you go. That's the teaser. So tell us a little bit about Danny. Yeah. So Danny Betamay. Oh, sorry. Betamay. Betamay. Sorry. Yeah. Danny Betamay is a very uh, sold out Jesus freak in a really good way. She was born in 1976, raised in Omaha, Nebraska, Uh, never really felt close to God or that he was real. Um, She was verbally abused and tortured by the man whose name she was named after, her dad. And then, uh, I mean, she eventually just gave up on life. Uh, groomed to be a thief and a con and to only love money, sex, and drugs. She had lost all hope and all self-worth. And at age 22, she met a man who told her about God. Wait, wait. Maybe don't say this. Let, let them hear for her for themselves. Okay, good. Yeah, oh, great yeah. idea. Okay, okay, we'll pause right there. Yeah, let her tell the story. <laughs> Why would I tell her story? She can tell it much better. That's okay. right. But she did write a book called God's Sedents, oh. and it is 
amazing. Like mm. I could not put it down. And it's a tough read, I'll tell you. I mean, yeah, it was the F bombs are flying yeah, and like it's, it, it's, it's very explicit. But I'm telling you, this was her life. And it's yeah. so um, amazing how God um, can work through anyone's life. And so we're excited to have her on. But in today's session, we're going to talk about really about how certain circumstances groom you to become who you are today. Yeah. And no matter no matter no no matter how you were originally groomed, um, you know, God can turn around the 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 broken ways and turn it around for good. You know, you're also going to learn about how God can uh, break through those walls of unbelief and mm-hmm. and even uh, in demonic deception. And instead, he can break through and rescue you. And, uh, and that means even the hardest of hearts can be rescued because of the love of Christ. And that's what you're going to hear about today. That's right. So welcome, Danny, to your biggest breakthrough. We're so glad you're here. We uh, originally met Danny at the airport, didn't we? Hi, Danny. Yeah. Hi, Todd. Hi, Wendy. Thank you so much for such a wonderful introduction. <laughs> that was beautiful. Yeah, we did meet at the airport. We did. We were, um, Todd and I were there with another group. We were headed to uh, National Religious Broadcast, uh, broadcasters in uh, Florida, and you overheard us talking about God, and you were waiting ta- or you were uh, you worked at a restaurant there i don't know exactly the position there but you overheard us and you're like oh my goodness you love jesus i'll be right back and you brought us your book and we're like who is this right, next so thing good. you know we're all standing in a circle we're praying it was just so cool and then i had you on the visibly fit tv show and now we have you on here and it's because you offer so much hope because of what god has done through your story mm. and we want to jump right to it danny so tell us a little bit um uh, about that well, gosh, I well, want to say, thinking, just tell us your story. Well, but that just, was, Danny, I'm just thinking, <laughs> you know, when we read your bio and we we hear, here's a young lady who was groomed, right. you know, to be a thief and a con. What does that uh, look like? Some people are kind of scratching their heads. Seriously? I mean, right. you were groomed for that? I know it sounds crazy, but yeah, at the at a very young age um, in my childhood, my father was a loan shark in the ghetto of Omaha, Nebraska. You know, we just grew up with all this violence and it was just a crazy childhood. It was full of shootouts, um, drugs. Uh, I kind of compare it to the movie Goodfellas, you know, where uh, there's a, this one guy and he has these thieves that work for him, that thieves bring in the stolen products and then he turns around and resells them. And so my father ran a, a bookie. And so people who would borrow like Monday, they'd borrow $50 on Friday, they'd own them a hundred. And so he had a book of all the people that owned him money and he would go after them. He'd shoot them. He'd run them over with the car. And this would be with me in the car. So like from little on, you didn't really know life in any other way. This was kind of normal for you. Danny and her sister. Yeah. Yeah. And your sister. Yep. He, uh, from my youngest memories, um, he would have me, you know, just stealing, lying, conniving. Uh, and the whole house was always full of screaming and yelling. And, uh, I'd have to listen to him, you know, beat my mom. He would, t- he'd tie her up, he'd lock her up. He, um, and, uh, he, he just tortured her and, uh, then he'd beat us and, regularly in my childhood, he just randomly hit me and I was named after him, but, uh, we were always spoken to, and I hear a lot of kids in the inner city too. And a lot of kids who are growing up in broken homes, their parents speak to them in a completely different way. Um, you're stupid, you're worthless. You'll never be nothing. You're an idiot. You're a dumb, you're ugly. Um, you know, you're fat, you're thin, you're, you know, you're dark skinned, you're light skinned, just a, a constant mocking. And so that was what my childhood home was like. It was just a constant mocking and ridicule. But um, there's so many memories of my father, you know, um, you know, beating my mom, raping my mom, locking us up, 
we wouldn't get to eat. We'd be locked in our bedroom for, you know, 24 hours and he'd break everything in the house. There's times that I remember like he would use me to steal stuff and he'd be so proud of me too. Mm. So it was this very confusing. If I'm doing bad, he's proud of me. If I'm doing normal, he's hitting me. And like I said, he would just randomly walk up to me and hit me in the back of the head for no reason. It was so confusing. Did you have friends at that time in your life who were living normal lives? No, no one was allowed over. We had guns all over the house and and drugs all over the house. And so no one was allowed to come in and out. And I was scared to, you know, talk about anything. Uh, It was, you know, too scary to get in trouble if I said something wrong. And I didn't know what I was allowed to say. So I was just a really quiet kid that didn't talk, um, maybe a hyperactive kid, but uh, I didn't, I definitely didn't fit in anywhere because there's nobody I could talk to or tell them what I had going on in my house. How lonely that must have been. Yeah, it, it felt pretty lonely mm-hmm. and uh, just discouraging and so confusing, mm-hmm. you know, because this man that you just thought was like the superhero and he was so strong and everybody respected him and mm-hmm. everybody treated him like he, they called him Mr. G. Hey, Mr. G. You know, the neighbors respected him. Uh, We had uh, cops come to the house. We had um, so many people come to the house through the years and no one said a word. They knew what was going on, but no one would say anything. Do you think, I mean, because they were afraid of him or he put on a different air about him outside of the home? It was mostly fear, but he did put on a, you know, he was the guy everybody wanted to talk to. You know, he was very charismatic. Actually, what he reminds me of so much now when I look back is the pimp's I've met pimps downtown and a pimp is a very charismatic, charming, funny, make you feel good, man. He makes you feel like a million dollars the second you meet him. And that's what my father was, Mm -hmm. but he was more of a money pimp. He didn't, he just, um, you know, he dealt in money and stolen goods, not in women. But uh, here, just to give you an example of like my earliest childhood stealing memory, it was my father would have me go steal these cartons of cigarettes for him. And how old were you? one day I was six. Six. I was six years old and he had taught me how to go to the grocery store, go inside and steal a carton of cigarettes, walk it out to the car and put it away. And if I got caught, I was supposed to tell them that, oh, my mom just told me to grab a carton of cigarettes. I didn't know she didn't mean to take it out to the car. So that was that was the ploy. Well, I got caught after a month worth of doing this and I came home and my father looked at me and he said, I heard what you did today. And he gave me a dirty look because I got caught. Mm. stealing what he told me to steal Mm. the way he told me to steal it. And to me, that was just, I just thought that was insane. And that was the same age I was the first time my father shot at me when I was about six years old. Let's talk about that. Mm. I was swinging in a swing. We had a tree swing on our house on 18th street. And he told me to get in the car. We were leaving and I hated him. I just hated him. And it's just this teeter totter of I hated him and I loved him. And uh, that day I just hated him and I didn't want to go in the car. And he pulled out a gun and he just shot at the dirt at my feet because he wanted me to get in it. But he was so far away from me and he was like shooting at an angle, almost uphill. And it was just, it's just crazy that, and I think about like, you know, just shooting from the hip too. It wasn't like he was even aiming. He was just shooting from the hip towards me. Um, So yeah, just shooting at me. Uh, One time I remember the same age, around the same age. These are my first like, Mm -hmm something's weird. Something's going on. This is different. I remember I was enjoying a malt and malts were a real treat for us because we did grow up very poor. And I can remember the handful of times we got food that didn't come from in the house. And I was drinking this malt and he came over and he just picked it up and he took it and he just dumped it on my head. Mm. He set the cup down and he walked past me. 
And I just sat there covered in malt, mm. not knowing what was going on or why'd my dad do that. I just, I was so confused. Very confusing. Yeah. I just hated, I hated the world. I hated my dad. I just was, you know, just full of hate. And w- did your sister feel the same way? Were you guys both in that same? Yes. We were both in the same abused environment, but, and I see this happen a lot in broken homes. Well, they'll favor a child, mm. they'll favor a child and treat a child better. And then they kind of, you know, runt the other one. Dismiss. And that was how ha- that happens you know, throughout the whole childhood, but, um, she did suffer. Yeah. She did suffer just along with us, me and my mom, mm-hmm. you know, we were all his victims. Right. So you got to a certain age and, uh, surely you must've hit a point where you're realizing my dad is, is like nothing but evil and mm-hmm. I don't want to be here anymore. So how did you break away from what, what happened at what age were you and how did it allow you to get away from that? I'm going to take you back to where I became an atheist. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, please. Yes. Yeah. So my father would, um, he would shoot guns in the house all the time. And I know that sounds crazy, but we Yosemite had, Sam. Had, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we, we didn't have a, a basement in their home on 18th street. So he could just shoot right through the shag carpet and it would go into the uh, crawl space under the home. Mm. And you wouldn't even see that he'd been shooting guns in the house, mm. but I know <laughs> You know, a different that's kind of target practice. I got to back you yeah, because still, <laughs> still stuck in my head. I want to make sure I heard you right. This is in Omaha, Nebraska. Right. So yes. nobody would think about like a, a ghetto and in inner city or bad stuff going on. In You're Omaha. in a neighborhood, right? Just, yeah. So yeah. It, just re, it reminds uh-huh. me, you know, that sin is no respecter of persons or locations. Even in Omaha, Nebraska, you can have an element of insanity. But you wouldn't think it when no. you think a lot of people outside of Nebraska think of, you know, cornfields and, right, you know, brick, right. red brick roads. But no, <laughs> no, we, we have our own area where, where your dad shoots through the floor. OK, let's keep going. <laughs> and no one ever called the police. But this is before yeah. cell phones. This is, yeah. you know, I'm 44 years old. This would have been back in like the 19 early 1980s. So we moved to we moved from 18th Street to a house on 39th and Harrison. And my father would still shoot guns in the house. He had a spot that. Anyway, he'd still shoot guns in the house. And one day he had lost his mind. And when he would go crazy on us and it would last 24 to 48 hours and it would be a Coke or cocaine enraged frenzy. Mm. He would walk through the house. He'd break anything. He would, um, he would hold a knife up to our pet's heads and threaten to cut them off. Mm. Then he would like, if we had a pet, like if we had a pet dog, I remember one time he took our dog and he picked it up by the neck and the the back and he threw it in the backyard and then he took a shotgun and he shot and he goes there, I just killed your dog. And we we just sat there. Well, we sat there and cried and cried, but he didn't. The next morning we woke up and our dog was still alive. Mm, He was just just messing messing with our minds. And he had done that with some kittens uh, when I was younger, but he had actually, uh, well, okay. uh, When I was younger, I had some kittens and he, told me to go collect these feral kittens that I'd been playing with. And he put them in a brown paper sack. He rolled the sack up and he stapled it shut. Mm. Then he took me for a drive and I had no idea what we were doing, but I was so scared. And we got far enough away from where we lived. And in the middle of the road, he opened up his driver's side and set those kittens down right in the center of the street. Mm. Then he turned around and looked at me and he stared at me for a few seconds. Then he shut the door and took off. Mm. And he just kind of, there's a couple times in my life- yeah, he just stared at me to see how I'd react. 
mm-hmm. just to just to see if, I, if this is going to mess me up or if I was even processing. You know, this. It makes, just, makes me think that it wasn't necessarily your dad that was staring at you, but somebody yeah, else yeah. inside your dad that was staring you at it. you. The epitome of evil, right? Yes, and that's, his eyes would blaze over sometimes, and he just, mm-hmm. yeah, the epitome of evil. So let's go back to that moment. Yep, he was uh, coming to my bedroom, and he had put us in our room separate. We had kind of moved up in class and we were in like a working society now in a house. And he had put my mom and hers, my sister and hers and me and mine and locked us all in there. And he was shooting a gun off and he was laughing like Woody Woodpecker Mm -hmm. as he slowly and methodically made his way Mm -hmm. to our bedroom. Mm -hmm. He told us he was coming to kill us and he was laughing and he was going, "Ah, ah, 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 I'm coming to kill you. I'm going to say it really nicely, but Mm -hmm. that's what he'd Mm -hmm. say. And he'd use stupid effing beeps, you know, and he would, as he was making his way to my bedroom, uh, I had been to Catholic church a couple of times, like three, four. And I, I, you know, I knew of like the God on the cross and I stuck my finger in holy water a couple of times while we were there and, you know, flicked it at my sister, you know, whatever <laughs> we were kids. And so I, <laughs> I, I looked up at the sky as he was coming to my bedroom and I said, God, if you're really there. I'll do whatever. I'll do whatever you want. Just, just kill my dad. Mm. And I waited and he was still coming. So then I looked down at the ground and I was like, all right, devil, if you're real, I'll do whatever you want. I'll be your slave. I'll do whatever. Mm. Just, uh, just kill my dad. And then nothing happened. And I think I was about 11 years old at that time. And I can't remember what happened that night. I know he came into my room. Um, he probably hit me around. I'm guessing, you know, just ripped whatever poster I had on the wall, threw my dressers, threw my clothes, flipped my bed. But that's the night I knew there was nothing. And from that moment forward, I was convinced that it was the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, and Jesus Christ. And anybody who believed in that, they were fools who drank the Kool-Aid. Mm. They did. They hopped in and they just, they believed this good story told for generations mm. of the Bible so that people wouldn't go out and rape and pillage. That's why they wrote this book. It's just some kind of, you know, good story so that you had morals and you wouldn't go out and be a bad guy. Mm. That's when I became an atheist. Wow. You know, someone listening, Danny, <clears throat> right now needs to hear that because there are people that think the same thing. They've been through a lot and they have prayed and prayed and prayed and God has not answered the prayer in the way that they thought it should be answered in the time frame it should be answered. And so I know you're speaking to them today uh, and as you continue to unravel and unfold your story. So after you decided, okay, fine, you're, you're not real. This is, this is a joke. I'm just going to sell out. So tell us about how you sold out uh, to the devil, basically. And uh, how how your life unraveled and how you and your dad did things. Yeah, so I had no conscience after that. I didn't care if I lived or died. I treated my body kind of like this, um, just something to give away. And I gave it away to everybody. I didn't care. It was just a, a way for me to get attention. I just didn't care. I started shoveling drugs into my nose. Um, I started smoking whatever I could put on foil or in a pipe. I just, um, anything I could get my hands on. I was like, I just was running to nothing because there was nothing. There was, in my mind, there's nothing to live for. Um, I didn't fit into the world. I felt like I didn't fit into my family. I just, uh, like there was nothing to live for. So my father and I, we would do Coke together. Um, We would do uh, meth together. We'd smoke meth together. Um, Then this wasn't as friends. You know, this was moments where he would be nice to me to get drugs for me. And then we'd bond in that one second and then he'd be off. But um, I ran away from home. He tried to kill me one time. 
uh, we got into this huge wrestling match. I was 17. I was screaming for help. And uh, anyway, he ended up jumping on top of me and he took his thumbs. And he's huge. I, I, my father was huge and he was so strong and he took his thumbs while he was on top of me and he was pushing them down into my eye sockets. Mm. And, and that I could feel my, I know that sounds sad, but I could feel my eyeballs touching something behind like the socket. And I got scared. I realized that he could do more than just kill me. This isn't about him killing me anymore. I could be blinded in a wheelchair and live here forever. Mm. That's awful idea. So I ran away. (laughs) That was it. I ran away. And uh, I lived kind of this, you know, just feral wildlife. Um, No respect for men, no respect for women. I, uh, I didn't care again, like if I lived or died. I remember being such a heartless person that I would drive through an intersection full speed in my car and close my eyes. And I didn't care. I didn't think about other people in the car. I didn't think about who I could hit or kill. I, 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 sometimes when I look at our, um, and I'm going to get a little bit political, you know, but, political, <laughs> but sometimes when I look at there are kids who loot mm-hmm. when they loot, when, you know, the um, pack mentality happens and they go in and they break things and steal things and they don't care mm-hmm. and they don't have any concept of who owned this business or, you know, I'm burning my own city down. I feel that. And I understand those kids, Mm. you know, I do. I absolutely understand where their hearts are. They have no conscience. Mm. They have no right or wrong. They have no moral guard. Nobody's guided them morally. So they don't care. I empathize with them because I understand what it's like to be a monster and not have any feelings. Mm. So yeah, I uh, lived like that for uh, many years and until um, one day I met a guy um, named Phil. And how did you meet Phil? So I had cleaned up my act a little and got a job at the casino. And to get that job, I had to pass the drug test. And to pass the drug test was very difficult for me. I didn't cheat. I actually got clean to get this job. And I had to start kind of looking like a girl. Because before this, I had worked at slaughterhouses and I did roofing. Mm. I worked man jobs. <laughs> you know, I did, I just was wild. You think, real making, quick, uh, before you go to that, do you think you were more um, doing man jobs and, and more boy like because of wanting to be accepted by your dad in some maybe unconscious way? I think I wanted to prove that I was tough. Ah. My, my father was always the toughest man in the city. Mm-hmm. People whispered his name. I went to a party one time and people whispered my name because I was his daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that standing. So that that's felt good. Yeah. So, so being tough and being a bad guy and being as loud and crazy as I could, um, even working at the slaughterhouses, I would try to scare everybody I worked with. Mm. I really would. Um, I won't go into details. It's I pretty read the gross. Book, yes. It, yeah, I would. Uh, I would do things to shock them and scare them. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was trying to threaten people to kill them. And I tried. I turned into my dad. Right. It's, mm. That's really what I yeah. had done. I just wanted to be as as a big of a monster as he was. So I was working at the casino now and I had cleaned up my act and gotten sober. And uh, this um, boy came in and his name was Phil and he was 22 and he was a computer nerd. And I had never dated a computer nerd, but anyway, we ended up uh, flirting with each other and we went out to shoot pool at Big John's in Omaha, Nebraska. And um, we ended up, I ended up falling head over heels for this kind guy who was a little bit, you know, um, he was a little bit street edgy, you know, um, he didn't grow up wealthy. He grew up pretty poor, but he was sweet and kind. And I can tell you on our second date, 
I smacked him in the face. I backhanded him hard. He said something I didn't like. We were walking into shoot pool and I didn't like it. And I said, what'd you say? And I went, and I hit him in, in the mouth. Oh my. <laughs> and do, do you know what he did? He, he grabbed my hand and he looked at me and he goes, look, if we're going to do this, you can't do that. I didn't know where to put that. You're used right. to being hit back. Yeah. No, or, nobody ever hit me back. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And your expectation must have been, well, he's, you know, he'll, he'll be out of here. I mean, he gets the message now. I'm the tough guy. You're a nerd. Bye-bye. And he surprised you by doing the opposite. He stood strong, but he, oh man, that's awesome. He stood strong. He kept his temper and it was the most like, I don't want to say sexy and masculine thing I had ever seen. Uh, he didn't get mad at me. He didn't throw a temper. He didn't not talk to me the rest of the night. He smiled at my brokenness mm. and told me that if we're going to try to do this, like date, you can't be doing that. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I expected him to, you know, start yelling at me. I, I ended up finding out that he was a Christian. You know, we talked about it. And later I see that that was his, um, you know, that's how a Christian should respond. Uh, see the brokenness in someone and not react to it. Yeah. That just, uh, that resonates volumes to all of us because there are people that are going to get really under our skin in a big, big way. And you almost feel entitled, like you deserve to smack back because what you just received was so, so out of line and uncalled for. And yet you don't know and, what that other person had been through. Exactly. So to deliver that action. Yeah. Danny, thank you for pointing that out because typically we've all heard the saying, hurting people hurt others. And, uh, and this man with his, with his integrity and his character did not fight back. And that got, that got your attention. That's cool. So, okay. And so Phil kept sharing about. Yep. He would tell me stories about God mm. and, um, he, and I just like any atheist and people we see on the street who are non-believers, they'll say things like, Oh yeah, well, if God's really real. Then uh, why is there famine in Yemen? Yeah. Mm. Or if, if, if God is really real, um, then why doesn't he stop? children from getting molested. Mm -hmm. Right. And these are strong questions. And I would ask him these questions. And luckily for me, he was born and raised on the Bible and he would go right to the word of God. And he would tell me a story in the Bible and then, and then line that up with why bad things happen in the world. And it, and it, he always made sense and it was always logical. And I was, you know, just blessed to have him there. And he would keep sharing stories with me. Well, one day, um, I, I was 22 and we had still just been dating a couple months. And he told me what the Bible said about giving your life to Christ, John 3, 16. I couldn't believe this, right? I'm 22 years old. And I said, you know, are you kidding me? And he's like, no, it's just a prayer. I was like, you mean to tell me you don't have to go to church? And he's like, it's not about that. I was like, so I don't have to give money. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait. And then I don't have to like say, say that rosary thing mm -hmm. or join the church or be part of something. And he said, no, you just, it's just a prayer. It's between you and God and you confess it with your mouth and you confess your sins. And so he told me, confess your sins, right? Repent, uh, accept that Jesus died across for your sins and uh, tell God that you want to change from your ways and live his ways. And so I did that night. I did. So by this time I had had two abortions and, uh, this was before I met Phil and I never thought anything of them. I didn't. Mm -hmm. It was a, a very common practice in my family mm -hmm. to not, um, consider, uh, a pregnancy, a, even a baby. And my father had, um, punched my stomach in the mom, my mom in the stomach one time when she was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And that would have been a baby born before me. Mm -hmm. And, she had had another miscarriage. So 
the ne- baby in the womb never con- connected to me as a baby. It was just a thing. Mm-hmm. So, but I knew that it was a sin. I'd always known in my heart that that was the thing that was a sin, but I used to boast about it. I know that sounds crazy, but when I'd be drinking with the guys, I would boast about it. I'd be like, yeah, I've committed all the sins, even murder. Mm-hmm. And I would laugh mm-hmm. because I was so full of hate. I would laugh about murder. Mm-hmm. So I lay in bed. I said the prayer. I gave my life to Christ and nothing crazy happened. It didn't start raining. The lights didn't start flashing, but I was still living at home with my parents. I had had to come back with my tail between my legs mm-hmm. because I had, had no life skills. And that's very common with kids growing up. They in this these types of environments, they have no people skills and no life skills. And I didn't have any life skills. So I failed. I came back with my tail between my legs. But that night after I gave my life to Christ, the first thing I did was I ran upstairs and told my mom. Mm. I was like, Mom, hey, you know what the Bible says you gotta do to go to heaven? And she's like, No. And I told her, I was like, You didn't know that? And wow. I ran up to my sister, Charity. I was like, hey, Charity, hey, Charity, you know what the Bible says you got to do to heaven? And she's like, no. And I told her. Then I told my dad. And I didn't know this at the time, but I was witnessing people. I was sharing Christ with everybody. Like the instant, yeah, you were the instant, <laughs> instant evangelist. evangelist. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just thought it was really interesting that I am 22 years old. And I had been to, like I said, I had been into churches a couple times. And this was, and I even went to a Catholic school when I was in, I believe, first grade. But I had never heard this. I had no idea that this was in the Bible and that this is what it says to do. So I was just blown away and I shared Christ with everybody. And after that, though, you know, I kind of just became one of those toe in the water believers. And what I mean by that is Phil and I ended up getting married. We had children. We're happy in love. We've been together 22 years now. Such a beautiful family. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. But after I gave my life to Christ, uh, we got very busy having kids and buying a house and getting situated. And But Phil always wanted to go to church, right? He's like, we should go to church. But I never wanted to go to church. Well, at this time, I gave my life to Christ, but I didn't enjoy going to church because I still dressed like me. You know, I still dressed like a Playboy bunny. Like, mm-hmm. like I never really like balanced that out. I still dressed like a, you know, inappropriate for church. And I always felt like I didn't fit in there. I didn't belong. We were going to like um, more like a middle-class suburb churches. And, you know, I just didn't feel comfortable there. Mm -hmm. The message was always good, but I always couldn't wait to hurry up and get out of there. Like, as soon as we're done with this, we can go eat. As soon as we're done with this, you know, we can go fishing and get out of here. And I knew that if I drank and got my husband to drink the night before on Saturday, I'd get us out of church on Sunday. And that was... (laughs) So that's the kind of Christian I was. And it's, and it's crazy to me. And it's funny to me. But yeah, I, so I was just a toe-in-the-water believer. And uh, I still shared Christ with people. It was uh, really cool and fun. And I loved doing that. But I still didn't want to be an all-in Christian. Yeah. I was really happy with just having a toe in the water mm. until I had a, a miracle happen to me that completely changed the trajection of my life. So this is the biggest breakthrough. Everybody ready? Where's the drum roll? Do we have a drum roll over here? (laughs) So my husband and I were, you know, we, he had a a God thing happen to him and we whispered about it. We didn't (sighs) tell anybody because it was just kind of something that happened to him. I was praying, but I wasn't a, you know, I still wasn't an all in believer. I gave my life to Christ. I believed in God. Um, I hardly ever prayed. I hated going to church. Um, I didn't read anything biblical, but I did share Christ with everybody. 
And uh, we ended up moving here to Minnesota. And one day, my husband and I, we had all these Bible people keep coming up to us here. And we thought, this is weird. And these God people keep coming up to us. But at the same time, we were going to church more and we were praying more. And these Christians kept coming up to us. I mean, it was just so weird. And I thought, you know what? I bet here in Minnesota that they have like some kind of Jesus school and these people keep, you know, graduating and then they don't move. (laughs) They just stick around. Uh And that's why all these Jesus people keep coming up to us here in Minnesota. That's hilarious. I had made my own theory about it. Yeah, you were being targeted. Groomed in a new way. So it was just so odd. We were at the fights. We were watching uh, MMA fights because our friends, one of our friends was fighting in the UFC. Mm. My husband and I used to uh, do MMA fighting. Wow. Dude, That's a whole shocker. nother. Wait a minute. Shocker. <laughs> we'll have to get to that one in a minute. But keep, okay, keep yeah. going. So, so well, okay. Before my big aha reveal, my, we were at this fight. We were at the bar and we were watching our friend fight in the UFC. It was a televised event and I'm screaming at the TV and I'm throwing punches at the TV and I'm going, get him, get him. And someone's tapping me on the shoulder. And remember, I'm dressed like a Playboy bunny. I'm just inappropriately, you know, everything's tight and my heels were like five inches. Mm -hmm. And I turn around and this guy starts telling me about how good God is. And I was like, you're like, gosh, I can't even go see a fight. There's another (laughs) one. one." (laughs) And so we talked to him. And so then it's like the next day, my husband and I, We had a date set up, just the two of us, no kids, to go to the Minneapolis Institute of Arts because they had the Ming Dynasty Warriors on display. It's this terracotta warriors, very old, very cool. And it was a traveling show and we wanted to catch it. So while we were getting ready, we were talking about all these Jesus people who keep coming up to us. And we were talking about this church we were going to called River Valley in Apple Valley, Minnesota. And they had passed out this seven-day all-in challenge prayer card. And for seven days, you were supposed to pray and tell God, all right, God, I'll do whatever you got. Your will be done before my own. But I had no intentions on saying this card. I folded it up and like threw it on the counter. She's so honest. <laughs> I didn't. Because I, I figured I figured that the reason these churches pass out these kind of cards is because they want people to do more at the church, uh, like park cars, yeah. greet there's people. A catch. There's a catch. <laughs> there's a catch. They're trying to get me again. I ain't parking nobody's car. I ain't coming in early. You're lucky I even come to church. I made it. <laughs> well, you were street smart. Yeah. yeah. All right. Sorry. So, so we're getting ready. And my husband, we're talking about this. And um, he said, I was looking for a job at this time. And he goes, you know, you don't have to get a job here. You can just volunteer or something. I said, I ain't volunteering. He goes, you don't have to get a job right now. You can wait till we move into our new house and you could just go volunteer. And I said, look, I said, if God wants me to volunteer or anything stupid like that, I said, he better hit me in the head of the two by four with a sign from him. Cause that's the only way I'm volunteering my time. And he goes, my husband who's in the shower, I'm getting my hair pretty, getting ready. And he goes, Oh, you better pray about that. And I said, what? He goes, yeah, you better pray about that. Like the card said. And I was like, fine. And I looked up at the sky and I threw my hands out and I said, God, if you want me to volunteer or anything stupid like that, I said, you better hit me in the head with a two by four with my own sign from you. And that's the only way I'm going to volunteer my time. And I left because I knew in my heart, I knew nothing was going to happen. It's in my head. It was kind of like that old joke that if God wants me to tithe, I'll take my money and I'll put it in my hands and I'll throw it up in the air and whatever God wants to keep. <laughs> That's a new <laughs> right? approach. That's where I was. And I figured, you know, if God wants me to do it, he'll show up. And that's the only way. So my husband and I headed to the arts theater and we talked about God and the Bible. We had a really deep, in-depth, 
you know, we've been at that time, we've been together 16 years and we just talked about God, the Bible. How do you know God's real? You know, how do you know God wants us here in Minnesota? Why are these Christians keep coming up to us? We just had this really deep conversation. And I looked at him and I said, you know, honey, I'm really comfortable being a toe in the water believer. Mm. I said, I gave my life to Christ. We do good deeds for everybody. We help out everybody. And I'm really comfortable with that. I said, we go to church. Yeah, I got baptized last year. Come on now. What else do you want from me? And uh, he goes, I understand what you're saying. He goes, but I know that God is, God is real. And I know we're supposed to be here in Minnesota. And I said, yeah. I said, you have your sign from God. I said, but if God wants me to be an all-in believer, one of those all-in Bible thumpers, I'm still going to need my own sign. So we got out of the car and we walked into the Minneapolis Institute of Arts. And by this time, we're being flirtatious with each other. We're being funny. Um, there was a picture of the last supper up and I pointed at him and I go, Hey, Hey, look, I said, that must be my sign. <laughs> and I left. <laughs> I was being a jerk. Uh -huh. yeah. I was being a jerk. And so we walked into this area and we put our headphones on to listen about the art and we synchronized our headphones so we could listen simultaneously as we walked around mm -hmm. the Mingano Warriors. I end up, we made it through three rooms and I ended up noticing the same security guard over and over again. And finally, I figured out he was on a break rotation and he was breaking the security guards in each room. And his rotation lined up perfectly with our rotation of the audio of this terracotta worry. It was just funny. So I make eye contact with this kid and he ends up walking over to me. I assumed he was going to flirt with me. I always dressed to get hit on. I dressed to draw the eyes of men mm. where I was mm. in my head and in my life. Mm. So uh, I was ready. He's coming over and I knew I was going to get hit on that day. I must be looking cute. <laughs> and so he, he comes over and he says, Hey, he goes, uh, you two are into this, uh, these terracotta warriors, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, you know, I had to take my headphones off. I was like, yeah, he is. My husband and I had been hand in hand this whole time. We never left each other's side because we were listening together. And he goes, uh, you two are down with the Bible too, aren't you? And I said, I'm what? And he goes, yeah. He goes, you two are down with the Bible too, aren't you? He goes, I can't talk about it because I'll get in trouble at work. And I said, what? I said, how did you know? How did you know that? Remember in the car mm -hmm. and in the house, we'd been talking about God and the Bible and all these Christians. And now that I got this guy who I thought was going to hit on me, comes up to me and starts telling me that I'm down with the Bible. <laughs> I believe in the Bible. He's talking your language. You're down with it, sister. <laughs> but I don't look like a lady who just Down can't eat. I, right. No, I, I'm telling you, I had a black tank top on that day, skinny jeans and leather boots that came up to my knee that were five inches. And that was all I was wearing. Wow. Yeah. And, and I strutted. Uh -huh. I strutted when I walked. I don't so the look fact like that. He saw Jesus in you. That's crazy. Mm. It was crazy. So mm -hmm. I said, uh, I said, what are you talking about? I said, stop. Like, this isn't funny. I don't, this isn't funny. I said, what are you talking about? And he looked like, he was so happy. He looked like one of those kids who just got out of Jesus camp. He goes, he goes, I can't talk about it here at work. He goes, but the Holy Spirit's moving. And he goes, and I think I'm supposed to tell you, you're supposed to volunteer or something. Oh, stop it. Danny, I have chills. And I said, well, I said, what? And by this time I call it, I, well, I went into this ugly cry. Like uh, my face just swelled yeah. up. <laughs> And, I just, and he started, he took his hand and he goes, you should volunteer. He said downtown. And then he started naming off places. But all I heard was downtown. Mm -hmm. All of this 
I, I don't want to say I blacked out. That's not appropriate. I don't know if for lack of better terms, we'll use blacked out, but yeah, just zoned out and all I, my whole world was going wah, wah, wah. And I was trying to get my husband's attention and my husband turns around. And at this time he wasn't very social uh, with other people. He was very social in our home and with his friends, but he hated making time for other people. And so he turns around and he's, he was looking at the art in front of me and he's a little upset that I'm calling him over. It's your ugly cry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's like, what? I was like, and I looked at the kid and I could barely speak. And I said, would you just tell him what you just told me? And the kid goes, yeah. He goes, I told her that, I'm sorry. I'm trying not to cry. He goes, I told her that uh, that she should volunteer downtown and uh, the Holy Spirit's moving. And he goes, I can't talk about it at work. So I'll get in trouble, but I think she should volunteer. And I just couldn't believe it. I walked out of the room and my husband, he held me and I took my quivering hands and I go, okay, I get it. I guess I'm going to volunteer now. (laughs) Everything just changed. Everything changed. I ran to that church Mm. that passed out that card. We ran there and I said, you got to sign me up. I'm supposed to sign up somewhere. I got, I'm supposed to go downtown. (laughs) I had no idea. We signed up with the street team with Scott Stover, who leads it, that took us into the city. We were like downtown that Friday. My husband Mm. said he wasn't going to go. And he goes, this is your sign from God. I don't need to go. And I was like, you're going. I ain't going down there. So he ended up going down. And it felt like what a mission, like a true mission trip. We were in this van. We were headed downtown into South Minneapolis. Uh, we ended up going down underneath the bridges and, and listening to people. But we, the first place we went was to the men's shelter. I think it was Catholic Charities or the Salvation Army. And uh, I was allowed inside. And I was the only woman on the team. And Um, I went inside and before you knew it, I had never prayed with anybody and I have never had anybody pray with me, but I was on my knees and I was holding people's hands and I was praying for them. Mm. I was, prayer was coming out of my mouth. I was sharing my testimony with them. I was telling them how real God is and where I came from as a drug addict, um, who gave her body away and gave her life away, had abortions, didn't care if I lived or died and God is real. And look at me. And they would always be all so amazed that I still had all my teeth. That's <laughs> like, oh, look at her. Yeah. She's, you, and that, that's what I, hear, I would hear the most. And you still got all your teeth. That's hilarious. <laughs> well, God knew, Danny, that he could trust mm. you in this space yeah. because nothing is wasted. And he knew that he could trust you because um, you've been there and you, could, you would have that compassion and you would be able to uh, really deliver in the way in which those around you could receive. And so you and your husband and actually your entire family do this incredible ministry downtown still today. And so it's been how many years you guys have been doing this? I think we're going on nine years, eight, nine years. We do the uh, Friday night street ministry where we go out um, every Friday and the, the group has grown. It went from like four people to, oh, maybe we have 60 people that go out. So we hit seven different locations, um, like Merwin's liquor, PV park. Uh, and we hit these locations and people who want prayer will come out. We roll, uh, hundreds of hot dogs. They're all beef. So they're kosher and, um, chips and brownies and hot cocoa. And, uh, a couple of churches fund all this. Mm -hmm. And so if it wasn't for their assistance, we could never go out and minister, but we minister to the prostituted, the drug addicted, the broken people coming in from other cities, uh, lost. There's so many miracles that have happened on street team and continue to happen. Just testimony after testimony where, um, 
women have come up to us and said they were about to have an abortion tomorrow, but they knew running into us was a sign from God to not continue. Um, I I think it's just, it's just so evident that God is not going to waste a single thing from your background. He's going to use it all to put it in perspective, to help others, right. To instruct, to encourage, to, to love, and you have such a fascinating and very unique story. Miraculous, I think, really. I, I think all of us can relate to the, the, the reality that nothing can stop God and his love when he's on the hunt. And you're a classic example of that. But at the same time, because you're so unique and so sold out, some might be thinking, you know, listening and thinking, oh, man, all right, well, that's good for her. I can't. I mean, I'll volunteer to park cars, but I'm not going downtown. So can you just talk to us a little bit about about that? Because there might be some who wish they could be doing what you're doing, but they just don't feel like that's the right thing. Absolutely. And I think about that all the time because I feel so blessed that uh, God showed up in such in my life in such a big way. But I think he knew that I was so broken and so heartless that he knew that if he showed up in a big way, I would never stop running and telling the world. But um, the Bible says, blessed are those who uh, believe without seeing, right? And how blessed are they that they can believe without having God just, you know, hit them in the head of the two by four. Um, but God takes our situation and our circumstance and he uses it for his glory. Mm, yes. Not everybody's circumstance is going to have them in the trenches in downtown. Like what would fear me the most? What would fear me the most is like ministering to, you know, suburb moms. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh-huh. I just want to say, I like, there, please, please don't ever have me minister to it. Like, I would, <laughs> right, you would right. be refreshingly challenging. I, I would be, I'd be so the nervous. That would make me nervous. <clears throat> but so my comfort zone and God puts us sometimes in our uncomfort zone. Mm. But what I didn't know was my comfort zone is right where God put us. Yeah. So God uses us all. And sometimes God doesn't even have you leave your house, mm. right? You could be ministering to your, your children's friends. You could be ministering to your own children. Maybe where God's got you is right in your own home or right in your own neighborhood or just at your church, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe you're the one that gives the money so that the hot dogs can be bought. Or maybe you're the one that helps pay so that the vans can have the gas to go pick up the kids from the shelter so we can have church in the inner city, right? right. If it wasn't for all of us doing our part collectively, this would never work. Mm. There would be no street team. There would be no inner city church. We teach kids church in in the inner city. ICCM Inner City Church of Minneapolis. And we've been there for probably seven, eight years, but that church wouldn't exist with all the other people mm. who feed into it, yeah. right? It's a church for the homeless mm. and, you know, prost- women breaking free from prostitution. And uh, there's no way that church would make it without assistance yeah. from other churches. Yeah. Well, I love how God mm. has used you and your family to make mm-hmm. a difference in so many. And so your story is miraculous. Um, your your uh, pain and your circumstances have just been a, a flip of, a flip of script, and it's by God's grace and His mercy. And you uh, are offering hope for others because so many have their own story. It may not be as traumatic as yours, but um, knowing that God is there to intervene for someone even like you can give them hope for mm-hmm. their own story. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for sharing. Where yeah. can people find out more about uh, you and what your church is doing? Um, is there a site, a website? And also get to get Godsidence, which is on Amazon. Yeah. So the book is, awesome. yeah, yeah. it's God. It's God's sin. Chased, it's by, chased the devil, by the devil. But caught by Christ. Christ. Let's say it together. That's good. Yeah, no, that is <laughs> In good. unison. Yeah, time. and it's just my testimony. Uh, 
I don't take any proceeds from it. If it does ever make money, it just gets back to the church. Our, uh, my daughter wants to do a mission trip to Djibouti. So mm. maybe they'll go to that. And then uh, Friday night street ministry. Um, you can connect to uh, inner city church in Minneapolis. Um, or you can find me on Facebook. It's Danny Bademe, D-A-N-N-Y-B-A-I-D-E-M-E. You can friend me on Facebook and I'll send you all the information, mm. but there's no obligation to come. You know, if you decide you don't want to do it, you know, you don't have to, uh, we're not relying on anybody, but man, is it humbling. And if you have teenagers, Mm -hmm. if you have teenagers and you can come out and you can just open their eyes, or if you have anybody struggling, there's a reason people from teen challenge get, um, get the permission to come out with Friday night street Mm -hmm. team, because it's part of a healing process. Uh, it's a humbling eye opening to have somebody bring one of your teenagers have them bring their clothes and then give it to kids. And then you'll see children run over from the basketball Mm. game and take their clothes off behind a dumpster and put your kids clothes on. That is humbling. Uh, Right. And if if you have anybody in your life playing around with drugs, right. Going out and seeing, seeing the, the root of that, right. Seeing the, what, what it can do to people, right. right? right. Seeing the brokenness that comes from that. It's eye-opening. So I really encourage anybody to come out, even if it's just once. It is very safe. The people who want the word come and the people who don't want to hear the word scatter. Yeah, yeah. So So I think that's the the Jesus school that you were talking about. I think so. That's the real (laughs) Jesus school. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's right. Well, we are so honored to have you on. And we will put uh, your information in the show notes as well. And um, just thank you. Thank you for being uh, just a beautiful testimony of what God can do in and through somebody who's willing. Um, So God bless you and God bless your ministry. God bless you both. All right. Thank you, Todd. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Danny. She's Isn't like she a, fun? Like a Christian pyromaniac because she's lighting <laughs> she, fires for Jesus all over the place, that right? That is so true. And so it just, true. it's an encouragement. You know, you you might not, I mean, you might be sitting back going, are you kidding me? Where do those kind of people come from? Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, exactly. No, they're, they're no they're, they're, here's and, the deal. It could be your neighbor. Yeah. Just like she said, we were in a normal neighborhood. Yeah. It, it could be your neighbor. We don't know what someone else is going through. And right. so. Well, and you're not off the hook either. What, uh, me? Mean you, no, no. Oh. <laughs> because, <laughs> because every single one of us yes. uh, has been chased by the devil and mm-hmm. caught by Christ. Yeah. Or you wouldn't be probably listening to this podcast and well, and, maybe and you haven't the Lord. been maybe caught haven't. by Christ yet, and maybe this is an opportunity for you to uh, explore more and, and ask questions. And so we invite you to, um, re- you know, reach out to us at yourbiggestbreakthrough.com or even reach out to Danny. I mean, she yeah. she's lifted. I mean, uh, we are all here as as um, uh, just the body of Christ to to help give answers to help lead you uh, in whatever direction um, God would have us lead you so you can know him better. So uh, lean in and uh, reach out to us because we are here for you, but you can go to yourbiggestbreakthrough.com and uh, make sure you tune into some of our other uh, podcasts as well. We appreciate you uh, as an audience and, uh, and we hope to see you here. Same time, same place next, next week. Look forward to it. All right. Take care. Well, that's a wrap for today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, we love spending time with you right here on Your Biggest Breakthrough Podcast. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. But until then, just head on over to yourbiggestbreakthrough.com where you'll find some free resources and information and a place where you can comment and we would love to dialogue with you there. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.